Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. She just puts her head back and doesn't really need She just kind of goes, that, that when she needs a burp, and he goes, Hi, I'm Gareth. And I'm Ollie. And we are... The Newly Dads. The Newly Dads. Great, that sounds good. That again. We are the Newly Cancelled. Newly Dads. Well, is that right? Hi, I'm Gareth. And I'm Ollie. And we are... The Newly Dads. Dads. Welcome back. It's a new year. Hope you all had a good Christmas and a happy new year. It feels like a new year. It's very nice. It's 2024. Today we're going to be doing something really weird. We are going to be, it's not weird at all actually. It's very natural and very lovely and, and we both have it. Well, today we're talking about sperm. We're talking about sperm donation and but also just part of the IVF side of it. So many people have talked to us about IVF and surrogacy journey and all that kind of its pieces. And jism is a big part of that process. Well, it's I, I love process, you are such a child that basically you're getting all squirmy talking about this. I'm not Be at all. an adult. Be an adult. I'm not being an adult. We are talking about sperm donation. This is why it's completely on our narrative. You did a documentary recently called Save Our Sperm. Where you have your sperm tested and it's all about... And don't get me wrong, as soon as our lovely lady from the London Sperm Bank comes and joins us, I will be very normal. But at the moment, you have to have a bit of a lol about jizz because it is quite funny. You're sat there in your teddy bear jumper looking like a child in your reindeer boots. I've just Googled funny names for sperm. Why would you do that? Because it's just amazing. Baby batter. That's disgusting. Baby gravy. What? This is weird. Bull bath. (laughs) What's bull bath? (laughs) Bull bath doesn't make any sense. Bull bath, yeah, it's like, like oh, bath as in yeah. bonk juice, buttermilk. Oh, bubba, no. Cock droplets. Anyway, we've got Nicole Nellin, and she is going to be talking to us about sperm donation, IVF, and just generally all the questions that you want answered, really. And actually, what we don't know the answers to because we're quite knowledgeable in this, but I'm there's things we don't know the answers. Actually, to. very good at sperm. Uh, I've been around it a lot. Not quite like that. It's not quite what I meant by that. I did this documentary recently for Channel 4 called Save Our Sperm, which is a very important documentary about sperm and sperm health and how to make sure your sperm is the best swimmers they possibly could be for when and if you want to start trying to procreate. I think what we need to remember here is that it took us three years to have our children and that our surrogate had 
three miscarriages. Mm-hmm. We all went through a lot and it's a lot to go through. And part of that process for us on the learning side was about sperm and about the quality of sperm. And actually what people don't understand, don't appreciate is the majority of the time when there's a problem with the embryo and a problem with a pregnancy, it's down to the man. It's to the woman at all. A lot it is of the down time to the quality of the man's sperm. It takes two to tangle. It takes two to tangle. And we'll be talking way more about that stuff coming up. But right now, should we break the fourth wall slightly yeah. here and just be like, it's so bright and sunny out and we're really relaxing because we're in Barbados with the kids. But realistically, we've recorded this a couple of weeks before because nice way possible, I don't like working in the beginning of January. This is their first holiday where there's going to be a pool. They haven't gone swimming yet. And that's quite a fun thing. They've never been swimming. And I've got some lovely swimming shorts for, for him. And I've got a lovely little cosy for cosy. Oh, she's so cute, isn't she? And then actually it's quite fun because they love bath time. And actually they haven't really, because the entirety of the sort of summer, they were in NICU, which is all air conditioned. So there whatever. Was no... They've never really had a summery sort of thing, have they? They haven't known warmth as such. Only from us and our love. Well, obviously, <laughs> but they haven't known like the sun. This is something really special. And also, I want loads of photos. This is going to be their first time on a boat as well at one point, which is really lovely. And that's very important to us, the seaside. And this is going to be a lovely, lovely time, I hope. I want to go. It'll be fun. It'll be great for the kids. But at the same time, I am just like, oh, 10 days or two weeks at home with the kids, not having to worry about it post-Christmas after all this madness. I mean, like any other parent must feel like that. Like the idea of going away... I've literally gone through, bearing in mind this is an eight-hour flight, and what people don't realise, or what I didn't think about until I was looking into it, is the time difference. So the entire routine that we've set for them at home is now five hours you out. You keep them to the same, I know, same thing. But then they're five hours out. No, they go to bed when they go to bed in England. What? That's apparently what you do. But that's at one in the afternoon. No, I bet we have to change their routine. Otherwise, it's completely mental. Oh, good. Babies, twins with jet lag. With jet lag. And then, that and is then, not acceptable. fair enough that they were fine on that on the air ambulance. However, this is an eight hour flight. What sort of person are you when you're on the plane when there's a crying baby on there? Uh, I'm actually, I think, as I've got eight hours. As I've got a little flight. bit older, I've been better. I imagine when I was 16, 17, being like, oh, the cliche, oh, there's a screaming baby next to me. Actually, now it's you kind of look and you go, oh my God, I I feel really sorry for the parent because actually you can't do anything about it. They are babies. There's nothing you could do. You're being very like PC about it because you're like, oh, now being a parent. No, 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 but absolutely, I don't mind. And being mature about it. Let's flip it. Our babies cry six hours straight on this eight hour flight. How do you feel about everyone around us? Mortified. Mortified. I would be exactly the same. Look, we've all been there and probably you're right when we're younger and we're like, oh God, there's a baby next week, cries all the way and it's frustrating. Obviously, being a parent now, you feel sorry for the parent. But being a parent with a crying child, you're going to be mortified, aren't you? Well, this is why I like flying Virgin Atlantic, which is what we are flying, purely because they are what I believe are the best staff. They're lovely. They're all the, all the, all of them are always and that's so nice. Personally, what I feel because they're generally kind of nice Essex birds that want to help you. They're so nice. You stand by the bar and they kind of they'll sit there and be like, "Oh, lovely." Did you take a load of them out in Vegas once? Yeah. Of. It's the part that I'm quite scared of is this long flight. There's some things you might not know about me, one of which is I am a wild germaphobe and it's something that I'm very aware of and there's nothing I hate more than an aeroplane loo. Were you crippling OCD about your germophobia? 
I've never touched a pin machine. I've never touched a door handle, really. It's all by my arms, my legs, my everything else that touches it for me because I don't want to get a stomach bug. I find this the most irritating thing because if I touch a door handle, I'm like the untouchable. He will not go near me for like 24 hours. So every now and then I do notice something that just grinds against me so much. And this is so pathetic and it's just my own OCD about this. But it's the mother or the father turns around to the child and goes, oh, do you want to press the button? Think how many people have pressed the button to cross the road. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of fingers which have been in holes up your nose and your ear, sucking your fingers when they had Cheetos, something revolting. You're letting your child touch the... Honestly. But this is, it's, it's not that, that... Also, do you not think that that is teaching them the rules of crossing the road? If you give them a complex about touching the button, they're not going to press it and then they cross the road dangerously. I disagree entirely. Just give them a thimble or something. They can they can put like a little finger Gloves. condom. You know, those little finger condoms you can get. You're going to give our children finger condoms. No, to... we're in central London. We've got bed bugs in the tube. We've got all sorts of stuff like that. And people picking their asses, and then... Ugh. You can imagine how delighted Ollie was when all the restrictions came in from COVID. Everyone had to wash everything when he it came in the house. wonderful time. Your hands are the driest thing in the world because you put so much hand sanitizer I'm on them. I'm so happy with them, though. One of the reasons a long time ago that I had anxiety about having children is the idea of one day having to lift a child onto the loose seat where everyone pisses. It's so gross. Those loos are so revolting. And often, and I'm guilty of this as well, if you're having a wee, obviously we stand up in the loo as men. Well, often I don't at home actually, but in a in, in private, I like, I like a sit down wee because it does help life a lot, but I don't do that on the plane. Every now and then you hit some unexpected turbulence and you end up weeing on the floor. That's something we've all done. And a wipe doesn't really suit it for me. So it's not as antibacterial as I would want it to be. I don't like the idea of putting our daughter one day on the loo. I'm going to have to come up with some sort of invention. You can just bring toilet sleeves. You buy them from Amazon and you have them for like planes and you just put it over it. If you're that much of a germaphobe, but you can't do this because you're basically going to give our daughter the same complex you've got and they'll go to school, won't be able to use the loo at school. No, I think you need to keep this to yourself. I think we need to give you hypnotherapy, if I'm completely honest. You're basically worried about taking the kids to the loo, which yeah. is not an issue at the moment, but what we're going to have to do on this flight is we're going to have to change them and you have to fine. go into the changing facilities. You're not going to worry about that. You have to go in the loo, pull it down, and have the baby in there whilst you change the baby. I don't mind that as much. Am I going to be doing it? No. No. Maybe. Okay. No. Maybe. Also, may we just add, may I we just add, much. when on earth do you change nappies? I did it actually the last two days. I have done it. I've done two pooing nappies. This isn't going to be good for you. No, bugger off, because actually... I do the... You do vast awful. majority. I'm not going to like... I do other things, but you do the vast majority pooing nappies. Let's not even go here, Log, because I do a lot of feeds. I always do Apollo, you do Cozzy, and then we switch it up sometimes. Yeah. Do you know what? Apollo is now officially one stone. He's actually over one stone. Yeah, he's over one and stone. And he's a bloody brute. So you have our delicate little girl and I always have Apollo. Yes, because he is a brute. He is a brute, yeah. But also... And also he's bloody nightmare to burp. She just puts her head back and doesn't really need She's She burping. just kind of goes... Like that Whereas, when she needs to burp. And he goes... He decorates you like in, And in then throws up all milk. over you and projectile kind of excess Reagan style kind of projectile vomiting, which is absolutely revolting. We, we were actually sat at the house. We had a load of people over on Sunday and we were sat at the house and I was just wearing a T-shirt. And for the entire day, I just had milk all down it. That's just how I live now. If you've got sick in your shoulder, who cares? This is going to happen again, isn't it? And also, I always just seem to be wearing like dark colours or black, so it really does show up. I'm used to it now. I'm actually nose blind to it. I'm full used to it, and I'm, I, I don't really mind. 
it. No. So we've got Nicole Nell joining us from the London Sperm Bank, who's going to be speaking to us about sperm donation and sort of all your questions, all the questions that we have. Let's ask some questions that maybe she hasn't been asked before. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So welcome to Nicole Nell from the London Sperm Bank. So Nicole, what do you do at the London Sperm Bank? So I'm currently the laboratory and the operations manager. So basically everything, make sure that everything runs smoothly and that we give the best possible service that we can to our patients and to our donors. If someone was to be a donor, where does this whole journey begin? So it's advertised over various platforms. There are a few criteria that we need to meet firstly, such as age. They need to be between 18 to 46, not using any drugs or anything like that. Smoking and drinking? These things do have an effect on sperm quality, but we also don't expect people to stop living their lives. But especially smoking has shown to have quite an effect on sperm quality. So they apply on the website, we invite them to a sperm test, and then we basically just look at the concentration, the morphology and the motility. But then to be a sperm donor, the quality has to be above the WHO criteria. So because we freeze sperm, we have to see that it thaws out well. A lot of people think when you become a sperm donor, you kind of just rock up to the clinic and you produce a sample. But it's kind of the opposite of that. There is so much more to the process. It kind of lasts like around three to six months. So it's quite something that someone really needs to commit to before actually, you know, going on that journey. Interestingly, when we did our sperm for our IVF process, we had to have the sperm frozen and then three months later you have a blood test taken at that point and then three months later you have a blood test taken again. Is that for in case you've got any viral infections or anything like that? Is that the same sort of thing? Yeah, so it's kind of called a quarantine period. A donor has to be screened every three months to make sure that the sample are safe for use for the patient. So they go through an entire panel of SCI screenings and once the sperm is then cleared for use, then only will the donor actually be released for patient use. Can anyone be a donor? Technically, yes, but they go through quite clinical screening. So from a consultant, a fertility counsellor, the scientists, we all see them to make sure that they understand the commitment that it is that they're doing because it is a lifelong commitment. It's not something that you can do and forget about because the child reaches 18 that was produced from your gametes. They can contact the donor. You kind of want that person to be committed to that as well, to know what it is that they're doing and make sure that they understand the implication. I know it's £777 as an egg donor, you get paid that. What is that for a sperm donor? It's actually a lot less. So sperm donors get £35 per visit to the clinic. It really is people that 
do it for the right reason, altruistic reasons, because that basically covers your train fare to the clinic. Yeah. So they don't benefit in any way from being a donor other than getting that £35 reimbursement. If you had a new couple call up today and say, we're looking for some sperm, how much would that process cost them? It is quite expensive. So it ranges from what type of treatment you're going to use. A sample can range from 1250 to 1650 People think it's quite like a money-making business. But the screening and everything that goes with it is quite expensive. People think that the donors come into the clinic, produce a sample, and we keep it there until someone needs it. <laughs> Chuck it in the freezer. Yeah, yeah but unfortunately, if only it was so simple. Sperm is stored at minus 196 degrees Celsius. So the whole process behind it is quite complicated. Also, the technology we need to keep the sperm safe, it's quite extensive. So How long can you keep? sperm frozen for? The law changed last year. Before it was 10 years, unless you had like a medical reason to extend the storage. But it's now changed to 55 years uh, of storage. You can imagine it got quite complicated if people had frozen sperm or eggs and then they later potentially couldn't use them because mm. they were nearing their expiry date and they'd say the donor didn't reconsent, they wouldn't be able to use it. So with the new law change, it's quite good. It gives people more time to choose when they actually want to have or extend their families. Oh my God, imagine like all those years. So if I was to donate sperm, right, and then right. in 55 years' time, my son or son turns out not to be fertile and then goes, oh my God, then I could use, I would be... But your grandson is then your son and your grandson. Son and my... And your and your and son's the, son is also his brother. Yeah, I mean that. Son that's, and that's brother. Just, I mean that's kind of like a complete mind. Isn't that weird? I, yeah, I, I just I don't, I don't get confused easily, but I'm really confused. That was a lot, wasn't it? <laughs> Let's stop this conversation. Daddy and granddaddy. If I'm getting sperm from you guys to fertilize an egg and create embryos, yeah, I can pick from a list of people. Yes. Can I see what those people look like? No. So in it, the UK, currently, um, the donor is anonymous until right. the child reaches the age of 18. Okay. There's currently a lot going on within our industry. So the HFEA, which is our regulatory body, they have now put forward that they want donor anonymity to be lifted completely. So when a donor-conceived child is born, then they find out the identity of the donor. So they've actually put that forward to government. But do they find out their name and everything, or do they just get a picture of what they look like? No, they actually get their name, their dates of birth, their last known address. So any contact details that we have of the donor, they get to. Now, interesting, does that work the other way? So no, they can't get identifying information of the children, but what they are allowed to know is the number of children that have been born, the year that they were born, and the sex of the child that was born. Really? So okay. donors can actually request that. And that's both sperm and eggs, is it? As far as I know, yes. Yeah, yeah. So we've heard a few stories now. We have been in the rooms where that has to happen. Where your crack went out, basically. <laughs> I mean, let's just put it like that to make it easier. It's not the most romantic of settings. I always think it's a bit like going into um, Willy Wonka's, you know, when it's all the room is all white and it's kind of all the people <laughs> in mass suits. It felt a bit like that in a sort of way. But twice that I've done it, there's been absolutely no material whatsoever, which is always quite an interesting thing. And then some do, some don't. I suppose everyone's on smartphones now, I suppose. So there's two options. So we've recently <clears throat> renovated our production area exactly of that purpose. It's quite clinical. And to be honest, you're actually, stress influences the yes, quality of, of your sample. So we've made the room 
rooms that currently that we have at our clinic much more comfortable where they actually the lights can be dimmed for example um, they have TVs with plug uh, in an air wick light a candle you know you joke but these are things that play a role so there's a TV with material on it that mm-hmm. they can use uh, with a headset and then at the same time they have the Wi-Fi password should they you know have a particular preference of what they would like to use but we really do appreciate the feedback that they give us so anything that they say you know this might maybe would make me feel more comfortable we really do try to incorporate that because initially it is quite a very obscure like thought to think I'm going into a clinic to produce a sperm sample but interestingly enough as time goes by the donors really do get kind of comfortable with it because they kind of see how we're comfortable with it they get to know us we get to know them and it becomes a less stigmatized thing they're coming here like you would donate a blood Mm. sample they produce and they leave so I can come in and I can deposit my sperm how frequently can I do that and how many times can I do that it depends so we've kind of established how many samples we need to fulfill the 10 family limit and that's usually anything between 30 to 50 vials of sperm and then some people have a high volume of semen I've had donors that they donate three times and they're done and then we've had others that it takes a bit longer so 10 to 15 visits to the clinic um, to actually like produce a sample to actually get to that number of vials it depends on your own little recipe in a way (laughs) like what works for you well that was it when we did the documentary there was three of us doing it and I think mine was 84 million per milliliter I believe what's the lower limit 18 million per milliliter so 16 16 and then that's technically infertile just subfertile because 16 million sperm per mole is still millions of sperm so yes it's 16 but 84 is really good one of the issues you had was that your sperm was damaged in a certain extent absolutely two-thirds Two thirds of mine were damaged. damaged. I've stopped now, but I had smoked for 20 years for starters. Hmm. And I drink. He basically did this program and then they went through to make it better. And then only one third was by the end. But from doing that, we ended up using this thing called Pixie. For anyone who doesn't know it, with Pixie, they take a sample of your sperm where they're going to take the sperm to put into the egg to make the embryo. But they put a piece of protein on, don't they? That basically attracts the good sperm. And then the strong sperm, they're able to identify, take them out and then use them. Yeah, you process. catch those little swimmers and you go, thanks very much, we'll take you instead of the other ones. So it gives you more of a chance of a healthy embryo. And then actually that was the time when we ended up with the strongest embryos and then we've ended up having our wonderful twins. Wonderful. Which was the amazing advice from someone. But I think what lots of people don't realise is male infertility, I think there is a spectrum of low fertility to better fertility. And actually clinics like yours help to obviously identify that and then help people have children who can't find it impossible but might find it more difficult. And also male infertility is not as focused on, like, I think as female infertility. I think there's a lot more focus actually being shifted onto male fertility in general. Female fertility is looked at and spoken about more because there is a rush of people our age in their late 30s frightened that they might not ever have children. And that's something that we see on a daily basis with friends of ours going through that process. They haven't found someone quite yet. And it, it, it's heartbreaking because annoyingly that biological clock is something that is is completely unfair. It really is. And it's, it's, a, it's a horrible situation of affairs while men theoretically can go on forever and still have sperm. And also it's about male and masculinity and men don't like talking about it. And fertility for a man is your balls, your willy, your, all that kind of stuff. Very much your private areas that's about your manlyhood. It's your macho-ness and where your testosterone is from and blah, 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 blah. 
And so people don't like to admit the fact that they're infertile or they're having fertility problems. And what they would do immediately is blame the woman. Yeah, she's not getting pregnant. Well, you need to look back at yourself if that's the case. And it's only just being talked about now that it's not just the woman and it is the man. And that's why we did that documentary to try and show that actually it was our sperm that was wrong all along. And those three times that we went through this might not have been anything to do with the egg or the embryo. It might well have been my sperm. And it turns out it almost certainly was. It's a good point that you make. And I think even things like anabolic steroids, I think people have such a low comprehension of how detrimental using anabolic steroids are because you think, oh, I'm using so much testosterone, but that actually, in fact, decreases your fertility so immensely that you can actually make yourself azoospermic, which means then that you have absolutely no sperm. And people, like you say, they don't usually try to look at themselves within the process. It's always like a kind of a blame game. But unfortunately, with infertility worldwide, it's 50-50. It's 50% mm. men, 50% women. And it's kind of the, the worldwide statistic of infertility. Okay, so I want to go on to something slightly different, which is the Scylla Black. Do you know Scylla Black? No. Don't know Scylla Black. Well, surprise, again, uh, surprise. I'm not British. I oh, well, she's everywhere. She's dead now, but she's Scylla, she everywhere. Scylla basically was our matchmaker of the 90s, and she had a show called Blind Date. She's a little bit puddly, and she used to go, surprise, surprise. You're right, Chuck. So Scylla Black was the matchmaker. Now, this is something that in the company you have to sort of deal with. This is matchmaking because you're not allowed to know very much information. So this is something that, that you offer them. You say, okay, what would you want from your ideal sperm donor? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so what we try to do is we always try to focus on the partner that's not genetically contributing. Mm -hmm. To include the other partner is kind of what makes the process like quite special. And then we say, okay, what's important to you? Because that differs from one person to another. So we've had people to say, here's a picture of my husband. And can you find someone that looks like him? Because we do know what they look like. We meet them. We spend a significant amount of time with them. It's quite special, to be honest, because then we can kind of say, you know, this guy, I think he might be the right person for you. And it gives them a sense of comfort as well during the process to kind of feel that they're looked after. When a patient selects a donor, they get a pen sketch and a goodwill message. The pen sketch is just describing themselves in their own words, which some guys will write a paragraph. Others will write three pages long of who they are. And then they get the goodwill message as well, which is written to the child. On a weekly basis, we publish new donors. And I'm quite lucky I get to read these. Sometimes still, after so many years doing this, I still get a little bit tear. And I'm like, I want to use this donor. He's so amazing. Oh, that's so cute. It's just the reasons behind them doing this amazing thing thing. Some of them have families and they're like, I want to give what I have to someone else. Others of them have known someone like a sister um, or a friend that's gone through infertility and they've really seen what this journey can do to people. And they feel like if they can make that small contribution to them, that's something amazing. Even same-sex couples, we've had guys that have gone through the egg donation journey with us and said, oh, you know what? We use donor eggs, so we want to give our sperm for another couple to be able to have a family. It really is quite amazing to be part of that journey. I think one of the things you said earlier about the altruistic nature of it is because you're not going to make money out of doing this. Let's just talk about the UK process. Everyone's like, oh, they're doing it for money. They're donating eggs for money. They're doing this. It's not. And actually, everyone that we've been around in this process within the UK, it has been like our surrogate. She didn't particularly enjoy being pregnant for the two boys she had. And obviously, ours were born early, so it wasn't the easiest pregnancy. But she was like, I had a family and I want to give that to someone who couldn't have it. And that seems to be the sort of driving force behind it. 
It is. I think a lot of people, even if they don't want to have children themselves, they feel like, you know, if I can do it, why not? Why mm. can I not help someone, you know, that wants to have a family? If you look at the US, they can get paid thousands and thousands yeah. of dollars, but not in the UK. So the people that do it are really doing it for the right reason. Yeah. Is there any part of this? Because this is, again, something I've been working towards and we've both been discussing quite heavily about trying to change uh, legislation in the UK. Is there anything that sticks out to you majorly that you go, I feel this should be changed for whatever reason? On a personal note, I think the anonymity is a big thing. I get so many requests from patients that want to write letters to their donors and things like that. But at the moment, that's not really allowed as such. There's been so many studies done to show that children, if they are known from a young age that they are donor conceived, they grow up knowing with the notion that that is normal and they don't have any sense of who they are and their identity. So I think what the HFEA have put forward to lift anonymity, I think is really beneficial to everybody. But then also at the same time, one thing that can be a bit tricky is donor withdrawal. So if a donor withdraws consent and embryos have been made, then unfortunately a patient cannot use their own embryos even if it was created with their own eggs. Oh God. Does that happen a lot? No, no. It's not something that's common. It's usually when a donor, for example, uh, has a new partner. That is what we've seen. That's also why another thing that HFEA have introduced that they want to make mandatory is counselling. So at the moment, it's not mandatory for a donor to be counselled before actually donating. But our donors, we kind of almost implemented as mandatory a while back because mm. we want them to be sure. We want to prevent something like that from happening. But life changes, people change. So you can never predict really what's going to happen. The UK is one of the only countries left in the world, and I think a state in Australia where um, withdrawal can be done until the point that an embryo is actually transferred to mm. the uterus. But in most countries, then once an embryo is actually created, then the donor can't withdraw anymore. Yeah. How many babies have been born as a result of sperm donations from the London Sperm Bank? Well, we actually had a look. So it was around 3,000 babies that we have That's contributed amazing. to. That's so. incredible, isn't it? It's wonderful. Like, I feel like I have so many babies in the world that I've contributed to in some small way. So I think it's something quite wonderful to, to be able to, to be part of a journey mm. like that. The amazing thing to remember about this and companies like yours and the amazing people that donate sperm or eggs is you are giving an option to people who are so desperate to have children, have so much love and time to give to children that they are consciously going above and beyond the norms to try and achieve their dream. That how can no, how can anyone think that that's a bad thing? And that's the thing. I think a donor child is the most wanted child in the world mm. because they can't be there by accident. Mm. So that's what makes it so wonderful is that you were so wanted and you are so loved because of the effort, time, and financial resource that had to go into you being there. And that is quite remarkable. I must say, every single time I speak to someone about this, and obviously an expert like yourself, we always learn more. You learn more, and it is, and this journey is tricky. And for now, I must say, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. It's thank you, you guys. Delight. It was lovely to chat to you about this. And again, it was wonderful to hear about your amazing story as dads too. So thank you. Thank you. Nothing quite like talking about sperm on a morning. I love a good chat about sperm. I think one of the most important things about this journey, about IVF, about sperm donation, about egg donation, is the misinformation out there and the half information that people have. And what I hope people do is listen to this and they become more informed on it. There's so much stuff where we get being like, oh, well, you've paid for this, you've done this, you've done that. And it's like, become informed, listen to these people and learn more on the subject because it's very different to what is just put out in front of you. 
And actually, when you dig dig deeper, it really is an amazing thing that these people are doing. It really is. Do you know what? After that conversation, I think we should probably try and find someone to speak to about male fertility, because I think that'll really sort of round it out. Every day I learn more about sperm and I just want to learn more. So let's get someone else in. Well, that's the end of another fabulous episode. Thank you very, very, very much for listening. And we'll be back with more lols next week. It is the new year. Stay safe. We'll see you very shortly. Yep. And if you want to send any questions in at all, please send them to newlydads at jampopproductions.co.uk or even reach out to us at newlydads at newlydads on TikTok or Instagram. Thank you so much, guys, and we'll see you soon. Bye, team. You've been listening to Newly Dads with Ollie and Gareth Lotlock. The producer is Ben Johns. The assistant producer is Maya Adelia. Videography by Jamie Gilbert. Video editing by Jake G. The executive producers are Jemima Rathbone and Jamie Lang. And Newly Dads is a jam pop production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.